It's Sunday morning. Where are the men? Well, apparently not in church because today's North American church congregation will draw in a crowd of more than 60% female. So why is it that young boys and men are running away from church? And why is it that church going men are so passive? My next guest is David Murrow, the author of the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And we talk about exactly that on today's show. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Becoming Men podcast. This is brought to you by thebecomingmen.com. I'm your host, Ray Delanues, and this is the podcast for men on the masculine journey. So last week, I shared that this podcast has reached 53 different countries. And this week, I'm excited to share that this podcast is now available on video. If you're listening to this, go ahead and get on the Spotify app and you're going to be able to watch my conversation with David Murrow. David, thank you so much for joining us again on the Becoming Men podcast. How are you? I am well and I'm ready to ready to take the second bite of the apple here. Let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's do it. If you can go back mm-hmm. and talk to yourself, um, your 20-something year old self for one minute and then you're going to disappear. What would you say to that guy? Uh, marry the same woman I did marry. <laughs> Do it, dude. You found her. Forget all the other ones. Marry Gina. She's so much fun. Just <laughs> just stop paying for expensive dates and marry her. So, marry. Just get it over yeah. with, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just marry her. How old were you when you first got married? Well, Twenty two. Okay. So okay. I mean, I, I wasn't exa- I wasn't exactly a uh, giant sequoia at that point, but uh, yeah. And right. And another thing I probably tell myself is do more writing. Because okay. I didn't write my first book until I was 44. Really? And I, I, I always kind of doubted my ability to write, but I, re- I wrote for television, you know, starting right. in my 20s. Uh, writing a book is a whole different animal. So Yeah, of course. But I mean, of yeah. course, being in television and, and knowing kind of the, the ways that you should be writing to tell stories and to really mm-hmm. present the next topic, it, it, that's a that's a leg up, am I right? Like you, you really mastered that to be able to then capture it in your book. Well, I tell you what, it really teaches you. I've produced 800 television commercials in my career. Wow. So you learn to say a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. You learn to show and not tell. Wow. So, and and yeah. I know my, my listeners are just like, oh, why why is my pastor not talking to this guy already? And <laughs> and that's because you know a, a large amount of this audience is within that range of 22, last time I checked, 22 to 35. And mm-hmm. we really fall into this generation where we're like, why, you know, they call us generation Y. I call it generation Y. Can I have it yet? Um, because really that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's really what it's like. And so I guess then this is a perfect segue into today's uh, topic about mm-hmm. why men hate going to church. It's also one of the, you know, your best-selling books. And I think mm-hmm. you have a lot to say and, and maybe a little bit of time about this giant topic uh, because maybe a lot of guys have an idea about church already. They have some kind of preconceived notion of what it's like, or maybe they're at a church right now and they're like, I think my pastor can use some uh, lessons from from David. So why don't you go mm-hmm. ahead and just kind of talk to us. Why did you write the book? Well, I mean, I was, like I said, I'm a media person. I'm sitting in church one day and I realized that uh, uh, my church was targeted. If I If my church was a television show, it would be on the Oprah Winfrey network. It was targeted at a woman. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Well, I mean, all the ministries involved childcare and cooking and music and sewing and uh, crafts. And you walk into the church and it's decorated in ribbons and quilts and flowers and yarn on bulletin boards. And it looked like a classroom, a school, a cross between a school classroom and grandma's parlor. Yeah. And then, you know, my, I went to a mainline church. So the pastor's wearing a robe that looks like a dress and he's got a stole over his shoulders. that looks like a, you know, uh, a woman's 
garment and he's talking about love and communication and beauty and relationships and help and support and nurturing and our feelings. And, you know, I mean, the whole thing was designed to attract a woman. Yeah. It was just, it was just so obvious to me. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go out and there's got to be a book about this because every time Christians gather, there are always more women than men. Yeah. And the women seem to get church like men don't. And there really wasn't a book. And so God said, well, you're a writer. You write it. I said, God, I write television shows. I don't write books. He says, write the book anyway. And so I did. And it became a bestseller. It's got over 150,000 copies in print. It's been uh, printed in 12 languages. I've been interviewed wow. in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. Uh, Fox News Channel, uh, hung out with the president of Promise Keepers. And you know, I mean, just the, the thing just wrecked my life. It really yeah. went bigger than I thought it would. And so right. um, I, I kind of became the leader of a very small movement to try to bring a healthy, uh, godly, masculine spirit back to churches instead of uh, defaulting toward grandma's tastes. We need to default toward young men's tastes because, you know, that's how Jesus started the church. Wow. And of course, that's very politically incorrect. And people, you know, push against that. No, you know, that's that's going to cause misogyny and blah, 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 blah. You know, I just hear it all the time. And, you know, it doesn't. You know, the, the more churches empty out of, of men, the more unhealthy they become. And wow. uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to you know, by the church, by the time a church is 70 percent women, you can write it to obituary. It's not coming back. The, the growing churches, the secret of the mega churches has always been their ability to attract men. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, the, the, the two most prominent megachurches of the last century, Saddleback and Willow yep. Creek, were, okay. were both founded by a man who targeted a mythical male uh, parishioner. Uh, you maybe have heard of Saddleback Sam mm. or yeah. Unchurched Harry. Yeah. Both of those churches specifically targeted the man because they knew if you get the man, you get the family in the deal. That's if the right. woman comes in, she rarely brings her husband unless she's got him by the necktie. Yeah. And so, Do you have any um, statistics around that? Uh, I know I've heard some stuff uh, out there, but I don't really know any off the top of my mind. Well, it hasn't really been. It's hard to study. Yeah. Um, there's an apocryphal study out there that I, I that I disclaim. It says that when a man comes to faith in Christ, 93% of his family comes. That That's BS. That is okay. not a proven study. Don't mm-hmm. quote that. I see it all the time and it's it's false. Yes. Probably the best study we have, um, people don't, the problem is most researchers do not uh, track religiosity anymore. Um, what, we, what we have found is there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. If you talk to a youth leader, for example, and you say, uh, if you are among your kids in your youth group, uh, does the father's involvement in the church make a difference? And almost right. every youth leader will say, absolutely. The most committed kids are those who with dads. Yeah. And there is some research surrounding that showing that when dad is spiritually involved or is the leader, the spiritual leader of the house, that his children will, will be much more likely to stick with the church. If the woman is the spiritual leader, it's almost repellent to the boys. It's almost better if their mom wasn't religious if their mom wasn't committed because men, because young men will perceive that as a woman's thing. I've heard that so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard like just guys who, who I've had on the podcast or who I've talked to personally who are just like, yeah, I, I just vibed with the women much more often, or I felt like I did because they just, they were more spiritual or they at least appeared to be so. And so I thought I was more like, you know, drawn to just hanging out with the, with the women groups. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? Oh. I have. Um, yeah, it's, um, well, I mean, if you think about the, 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 uh, 
characteristics that we value in a Christian. You know, we're looking for somebody who's relational, verbal, yeah. because we have a lot of verbal teaching, musical, because we sing a lot. And there's nothing wrong with these things, Yeah, but they are more, more commonly found in women than men. I was about to say, you described my wife. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with a man being musical or sensitive yeah. or, or, you or know, verbal. Express, yeah. ex- verbal or expressing emotion or any of these things. It's just that these things are more commonly found in women than men. Yeah. So, and also there's a sanction against men who become very emotional in public. And the example I always give when I'm speaking is if, if you're walking down the street and you saw a woman dissolved in tears by the side of the road, the first thing that would occur to you would be to go over to her and comfort her, yeah. right? As a man, you yeah. want to see why she's in distress and you want to help her. That's what men do. If you were walking down the street, and you saw a man in tears, you would think, what's his problem? <laughs> you, you would not, you probably would not go over to comfort him. Your, your first thought would be bucket up, dude. You know, yes, it, yeah. society does not expect men. In fact, society sanctions men who show tenderness and emotion. Wow. This is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and we're taught this from a childhood, you know, I mean, if, if you fall down and skin your knee and nine years old on your bike, what does your dad say? Hey, get no, up, brush get it up. off. You, you got know? this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You got this. Right. And that's a good thing. That's toughening, you know, but it's also training you not to show emotion. Yes. And so especially, you know, the, the fastest growing um, churches in most of the world are the Pentecostal churches and the spirit filled congregations. There's a very high premium on showing emotion. We perceive the man who is the most emotional as being mm-hmm. the most spiritual. Oh, look, he's really under the power of the spirit. He's weeping and, you know, and blah, blah. And, you know, that might be true or he might be a fake. We don't know. Right. So, um, you know, all these things add up to a very difficult, a much more challenging environment for a man than a woman. Right. And that's one of the reasons why the average church in North America draws an adult crowd that is 61% female and just 39% male. Man, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Christianity is the only major world religion with a man shortage. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Hinduism, wow. Buddhism, and Judaism are roughly 50-50. Okay. And then, but there is a world religion out there that is heavily male, much more male than female. What do you think it is? Islam. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Muslim yeah, men are much yeah. more religious than women. Yeah. Yeah. They worship separately. And if you've been to a, a mosque or you've seen them worship, it's, it's very martial. Uh, I mean, like a military, you know, they're yeah. up and down. It's They're practically marching in place. Wow. And so their entire worship is based around this military metaphor. And so uh, it, it definitely appeals more to young men than to young women. And that's why you, and, you know, plus you've got, you know, men blowing themselves up for their faith, which is totally cool to a young man, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it really, it really does resonate a lot more with men. I'm not suggesting that Christians strap on bombing vests, but I, I'm just saying that, you know, the whole Muslim appeal yeah. is designed to appeal to a young man, whereas the Christian appeal so often is designed to appeal to a grandmother. Yeah, I mean, even just some of the the beliefs in, and I I don't want to sound so ignorant um, because I don't know it all, but I do know that there are some beliefs in in uh, the Muslim uh, religion where, you know, if you live a righteous life, at the end of that life, you get a certain thing, right? And it usually, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, yeah, it, 29, 21 versions or whatever, virgins yeah, or whatever virgins and whatever, yeah. like in heaven. And it's like, okay. That definitely was a man who wrote that, right? Who made that right. one up. Um, yeah. <laughs> it it yeah. just blows my mind. You're right. It's Because it, what do the women get, right? Like, what what is a woman's pleasure in going to heaven? I, I don't know well, if that's or, stated in their, in, in their religion. Or even, you know, in Christianity, what do we get to do for heaven? We get to sing. 
Mm. A billion years of singing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. What do, what do uh, it, Muslim men get to do? Yeah, a billion years of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. virgins. So yeah, yeah the, the whole the mythology, the the the, uh, the uh, telos of the of the religion. Yep. Uh, how about Mormonism? You know, you make celestial babies for the rest of your life. You know, wow. and isn't it no coincidence that um, Islam and Mormonism are two of the fastest growing religions in America, wow. and both of them rely heavily on men. On men. So yeah. you know, the rules for church growth haven't changed in two thousand years. I mean, you yeah. you recall when Jesus started his church, he went out and found six men, six women, and he started a children's ministry, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> He <laughs> found 12 regular stinky fishermen and yucky guys that cursed a lot, right? He found yeah. those 12 guys and he changed yeah. the world with them. So, you know, the rules of, cha- of church growth are still the same. The churches that grow are those that find regular young men and disciple them. Right. And the churches that decline are those that keep the older women happy. Yeah. So practically, like, what does that look like? And uh, maybe I can get two of a church that's doing it wrong and two in a church that's doing it right. Like, what what are some of the practices that a pastor listening or or even just somebody who's interested in sharing this with a pastor one day? Like, what, what are the things not working practically? Well, let me let me do what's working first and okay. we can get to yeah. not working. That's good. So what that what does work is you have to look at everything in your ministry through the eyes of a young man. Would this appeal to a young man? And now I know this is sending shivers up the spine of many pastors right now because they're thinking, oh my gosh, all the volunteers in my church are old women. Mm. So if we create a church that appeals to young men, what's going to happen to to my Sunday school superintendent, my choir mistress, all the women that I roll, this army of women that I command, that I rely on to keep the wheels of the church going? Well, buddy, let me tell you how women work. Um, I'm going to give you a little story here. There are yeah. two big box stores right next near my home in Anchorage. One of them is called the uh, uh, Home Depot. Have you you've heard of the Home Depot? Of <laughs> I've course. heard of Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. So at Home Depot, they have something on Thursday nights in Anchorage called the Do It Herself Night, and really? they invite women to yeah they invite women to come into Home Depot, and you sign up for it. And like twenty or thirty women show up, and they show them how to do things around the house because a lot of women are trained in those things with their girls, right? Sure, sure. How to repair things, how to build things, etc. So what happens is Thursday night Sheila goes to do it herself. Night Friday morning when she's with her coworkers at work, the first thing Sheila says is, oh, "I went to Home Depot last night and I learned to work a bandsaw." <laughs> and all the other women are like, "Oh my <laughs> gosh, you are so cool!" Now. Right next door to Home Depot, there's a store called Joanne Fabrics. Yes. Now, I've noticed Joanne Fabrics does not have a do-it-himself night. I have never heard of a man get to work on Friday morning and say, <laughs> hey, guys, guess what I did last night? I went to Joanne Fabrics and learned how to make decorative pillow shams. Now, I tell, I tell this silly story to illustrate a point. When a woman does something manly, right. she gains points for it. When a man does something womanly, he loses points in the eyes of his peers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you create a church environment where women or or men, it's kind of a manly vibe, your church will grow because the men and the women will like it. They will relate to what's being taught. They will relate to what's being, what's happening in the church. Um, I spend half the year in Arizona and the church in Arizona has a big sports vibe. They do sports leagues. There's every, every campus. So it's a multi-site campus. They have sports venues all around. Every campus has soccer fields and and these sorts of things. They're constantly keeping the vibe 
masculine, right? Mm. And what it does, and the church is packed with women because women do masculine, but men don't do feminine. The problem with the church is most churches give off a feminine vibe, a grandma vibe. Older women run the church. And so young men come in there and they say, oh, this is something for her. This is something for my wife and children. It's not something for me. Yeah. So churches that are doing it right are intentionally reaching men, not through false masculinity or machismo, yeah. but by just keeping the focus on men and creating an environment where men feel comfortable uh, worshiping and meeting God. Sure. They preach sermons, sermon series that interest men. Now, it's interesting. I was interviewing a female pastor who does this, and she's got a church full of men. Now, I'm wow. not endorsing or I'm not endorsing female clergy here. I know some of your listeners are freaking out. I just want to say that this United Methodist woman pastor okay, wow. has got a church full of men by focusing her sermon topics on male on men by uh, bringing men into the lay leadership positions of the church. She's taken out all the feminized hymns, you know, Jesus, you are my boyfriend, all that stuff. Those are mm. those praise songs. Those are gone. She creates an environment. In fact, I did a documentary about it. You can see it on my website. You can see it on YouTube. It's called Amazing Grace, a Church for Men. And I made it again, not to endorse female clergy, but to embarrass male clergy. Because I'm going to say, if this five foot two woman can create a church full of men, why can't you? So what are churches doing well? They're focusing on men. They're creating an environment where men, everything from the decor to the sermon topics, to the language they use, to the praise songs they choose, everything is designed to interest a man. And what they find is they get women and children in the deal. Wow. I I actually... Something you just said really resonates with me because I'm, I was actually thinking about this when I was at church uh, this past Sunday and we were worshiping and I was like, wow, I really enjoy this song, but I've heard it being sang by, by men before and it mm-hmm. picks up a different tone, right? It's, it's different. Like I can actually hit that tone, but you know, it's an, I love beautiful singing, um, mm-hmm. but you can yeah. always tell when like the song was prepared for just a woman to sing. Does that make sense? Because of, because of the key? Yes. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the, oh, the yeah. key and then also the wording, right? Sometimes it, it mm. I think as a man, right? Especially as I soften my heart and mm-hmm. um, approach the throne and, and worship God, right? Yes, like right. I mm-hmm. do have this, this sense where I have to, or I want to uh, honor God with my, with my, uh, with my words and with my songs, with my praise. But some of the songs just like don't vibe as good as others. Does that make sense? Have you seen that? <laughs> Yeah, sure. And I'll tell you another funny thing that I like to do in my my talks that illustrates this. So I want you to picture two hunters in a duck blind. Okay. Okay. And they both got their shotguns across their lap. I'll typically call a guy up from the audience and we'll, we'll act this out. And I'll turn to the guy and I'll say, you know, Tom, I really appreciate your friendship. And I'd just like to express my affection for you using some words I heard in church. Tom, <laughs> hold me close. Let your love surround me. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. I long for your tender embrace. And now this, by this point, Tom usually turns his little shotgun toward me. (laughs) So what what you're describing, I think, I think what you're describing here is the tendency to use the language of romance rather than the language of respect in our, we use Mm. the language of respect in our hymns, but we use the language of romance in a lot of our praise songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Romance is the language a man uses with a woman. Respect is the language a man uses with a man. Yeah. 
So when we are forced to express our love to Jesus, a man, using words no man would use with another, it catches in our throats. Mm. It doesn't feel right to say to another man, I'm desperate for you. Let my words be few. I am so in love with you. It just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. Yeah. Um, when, when Jesus called the disciples, you know, he didn't say, come have a passionate relationship with me. No, he said, come follow me. So come, follow suggests a mission. Uh, relationship suggests we're going to cup Starbucks for some couple time. It just doesn't doesn't yeah. resonate. So I think that may be a little bit of what you were experiencing. Yeah, yeah. Burbage matters. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there it's something. There's something to be said about the masculine soul being you know captivated by certain um, imagery and and certain language that's being used. And I think that that's some of the things that you were alluding to here. When, when the church really grabs onto that idea and says, Hey, this is how we are going to now um, really like we are going to do church in this way. And maybe it might seem like a box, right? Like, Hey, we now a church uh, pastor might say like, am I putting myself in this box where like, I can now only say, say manly things and do manly things. And like, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts around that? No, I mean, a healthy church needs both ma- both masculine and feminine. It needs lion and lamb. Yeah. I mean, I okay. wrote a whole, my third book, The Map, was all about this. It was, you know, how do you balance the two sides of, you know, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Are you supposed to be turning tables over in the temple all the time? Or are you supposed to be turning the other cheek yeah. and letting the guy beat the snot out of you? You know, I mean, what, where, where do you set right. the balance? And it, so it's true. And I don't, I don't think men mind the idea of softening before God, softening their hearts. Mm-hmm. Men understand that this is part of our journey. Yes. You know, if we're going to become a man like Jesus, we have to be lamb sometime, but we also have to be lion. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, there, and there are so many skilled pastors who understand this. Tim Keller, you know, would be one of the leaders in this. He doesn't shy away from Christ's soft side, but he also doesn't soft pedal his tough side either. Yeah. And so the, the the pastors that are really reaching both men and women are those who don't shy from either side. You know, the problem and one of the problem in the liberal mainline churches is they only focus on the lamb. You know, Jesus is this, you know, this kind of this hippie figure who's just always, you know, there's no judgment in him. It's just everything, yeah, everything's fine. He's really not our father. He's our our doting grandfather. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, oh yeah, that's fine. Pat you on the head. Yeah, you would do whatever you want, you know, transgender, no problem. You know, it's there's no such thing as sin. Nobody's going to hell. You know, it's just a very low-key. Yeah. low demand. And, you know, men hate that men want to be asked of something. They want something great to be asked of them. Wow. And the churches that ask great things are still attracting men and those who are coddling people do not. Yeah. Because you're offering a sense of like mission and purpose and, and something that these men can cling on to identity and accountability. Like, no, this is what I believe. And now, yeah. what man doesn't want to take a flag, charge up the hill and plant that flag on it. Yeah. And the most unexpected prophet of this point of view is a man named Jordan Peterson. Ooh, yeah. I mean, Talk about it. <laughs> he, he has, he has millions of disciples, right? And he really does, you know, he's the, probably the most influential non-Christian Christian out there, you know, yeah, because, he, because he's basically reiterating the call of Jesus to responsible manhood to yeah. a, to an, a generation of men who've been utterly emasculated. Right. And, you know, the, un- the unintended consequence of the me-, the me Too movement was targeted at alpha males who have preyed on women mm-hmm. and their actions were absolutely wrong. OK, let me just make that clear. But the unintended consequence of all these raging women toward men has caused m- men in the middle or beta males to 
sink even further away. Yeah. And now that Me Too has become Church Too, I th- we are just going to see a huge exodus of men from church. We have women saying they are blaming men for, um, oh, don't control my body. I'll wear whatever I want in church. Or, um, uh, you know, oh, the church is such a misogynist place. These women are just blowing up on social media about how horrible the men in the church are. Yeah. They're blaming the church. They're blaming pastors. They're just, just, just angry all the time. I see them all over social media. Sure. And what are the men doing? I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to go play golf. Yeah. You know, so it, it's driving men away from the church, which is exactly what women don't want. But, you know, they're not they're not thinking about the consequences of their words. They're just yeah. marginalizing the men, the few men we have. And uh, it's 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 ugly what's going yeah. on right now in the church and social media. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a first order effects um, that people are most concerned with, like, mm-hmm. which is what's happening immediately. But yeah, like you're, you're talking to like the second and third order effects is what we are most concerned about is that your words, your actions right now are going to leave other impacts outside of this arena in areas that your grandchildren are going to feel because you're not thinking multi, you know, generationally. No, I mean, the prime example of that too is Joshua Harris, that guy who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye back in 1998. He oh, yeah. apologized. Yeah, yeah. He, he, well, he has since renounced his faith. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just crashed and burned, but mm-hmm. it's a really sad story. But he pathologized casual dating. He pretty yeah. much wiped out, one man wiped out the dating scene in the entire church. And so now we have all these women, these mothers who push this message on their, this purity culture message on their daughters. Well, guess what? They ain't got no grandkids because <laughs> mm. their daughters aren't married. Yeah. Um, because they pathologize dating. If you don't date, you don't marry. So yeah, there's just tons of people that are not thinking long-term because they're thinking out of their emotions. Yeah. They're not thinking about the impact this is going to have on men and their participation in the church. They're just saying, hey, we have this problem. We have these this, these relatively few church leaders, these Rabbi Zacharias's and stuff. And we have yeah. to put a stop to that. And so we're going to rage against the church. I mean, Christianity today has gone completely down this road. They just keep beating Mark Driscoll over the head. They keep bringing up all these men who have done these horrible things in the church, never right. giving any of the men any credit for what they've done and the sacrifices they've made to build the church. Oh, yeah. no, it's all these abusive, toxic men in the church. Yeah. Well, what, what's the message to the men in the church? You know, get out of here. We don't yeah. want you. Yeah. And it's it's just it's a real reckoning and a bloodletting right now. And it just it saddens me greatly to see yeah. so many men leaving the church. Exactly. And and actually, I, again, going back to the generation, why can't I have it yet? From what I understand, and I want to I want to be very skeptical about statistics. But uh, from what I understand, this generation has been leaving the church at the fastest rate in in recorded history. Have you heard that? <laughs> Yes, it's it's a very it's a very high attrition. Now we have to understand this in context of everything. Okay. This Gen Gen Z is not joining anything. They are withdrawing from careers. They're withdrawing from universities. They are withdrawing from military wow. service. They are withdrawing from marriage. They are withdrawing from practically every institution. So the withdrawal from the church is not completely the church's fault. We have a okay. generation that has been taught to I am a rock, I'm an island, do things on my own. Yeah. Okay. Social media allows them to do that because it allows them to keep these artificial relationships going, so but true. it's not a true community that's going to knock their rough edges off. So, um, yes, but yeah, we've seen a very high attrition rate and that attrition, of course, as always, has been led by men. 
And just the the cherry on top has been the whole Me Too and Church Too movement. I'm just yeah. seeing so many men discouraged by what's going on in the church right now and the beatings that men are taking um, for things that are not necessarily even their fault. Yeah. And it's it's guilt by association. You have women raging at men and it's just not healthy. Yeah, so true. It's really sad because I, I have seen this firsthand and it seems a little dramatic. Uh, to to some people when you don't really have a full picture of uh, the effects of the culture current currently uh, the culture's dialogue in this arena of masculinity and wanting to attach the word toxic in front of masculinity. I have a buddy of mine who has uh, had one girl and he was him and his wife were pregnant again. And I asked mm-hmm. him, are you, are you excited? You know, like, do, do you want a boy now uh, since you already have your girl? And he's like, no, absolutely not. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I don't want a boy. I, I want another girl. I'm like, well, why don't you want a boy? I thought he was being, I thought he was joking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, dude, are you serious? Have you looked at what's going on? Like I'm a white male who feels like all I'm going to do is bring another boy. That's going to be blamed for everything right now into, mm-hmm. into the world. I'm like, wow. Like you really feel that way. He's like, yeah, he ended up having another girl. Uh, they're pregnant again. Now this was two years <laughs> later. I, I so let's see what happens now, but it's just so crazy, man. Like people actually do feel this and it affects how they make life decisions. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really good book called men on strike. I don't mm. know if you've ever seen it. No, Came I out haven't. About four, four or five or six years ago. It was written by okay. a female author. And she basically explained that all the incentives that we used to put in front of men to be good citizens and good fathers and good husbands and good workers, we have removed all of those. Mm. And the dysfunction and the withdrawal from society that we see men on strike right now uh, is completely due to the fact that we incentivize bad behavior and we have de-incentivized good behavior. Wow. One of the things I wrote in my blog is that 40, 50 years ago, we, we had built this enormous man-building infrastructure. We had Kiwanis clubs, Lions clubs, uh, all sorts of these organizations that, that were designed, rotaries designed to build character in men. We had yeah. men's retreats at churches. We had men's ministries. It was all focused on getting boys and men to be responsible, generous giving men. Well, 50 years ago, women feminists saw this infrastructure and they said, why is this here? We want to join these old boys clubs, right? Yeah. And so women began to come into the clubs and they were a credit to the clubs. They're hardworking, they're dedicated and everything like that. Yeah. Well, but again, the unintended consequence was men began to withdraw and let the women take care of it. Mm. And so a lot of rotary clubs now are majority women. Uh, a lot of the men's, I was in high school, I was part of a thing called Key Club. Okay. And it was all boys. It was sponsored by the Kiwanis Club. That's the key club at my high school no longer exists. It became all girl and then it disappeared. Wow. Girls are going into the Boy Scouts right now. Yes. And because the Boy Scouts were the primary uh, developer of male character in young men, that's gone now. And and in 20 years, you won't be able to find a boy in the Boy Scouts. Yeah. Because once women come in, men let them. Yeah. So um, that this is this is a huge problem. We've dismantled all this infrastructure and we, we're dismantling it in the church right now in the name of gender equality. People don't realize why we had these things in the first yes. place is because the men of the 1920s were very unruly. You know, that's why we banned alcohol. That's why we had these teen fraternities we had to deal with. And so we built this this character building infrastructure for men and then we dismantled it in the name of equality. We've left our men adrift. Yeah, seriously. And that's how a lot of guys feel right now. Um, I even just got off the phone maybe an hour ago uh, with somebody 
who was feeling like they were just floating uh, in life, floating through life. They're like, I know Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be a man, uh, but there's so many broad definitions of what that is. And there's nobody in my life to be, that can show me what that is. And I'm like, no, like nobody, like how many people do you feel? It's like nobody, but like this person's engaged in certain areas, certain aspects of, of, you know, their community, but can't actually point to a man that's there leading that he wants to emulate and follow. Right. This is just one person, but I'm sure there's somebody listening right now that's like, yep, amen. That, that, that's me too. And that's very unfortunate. And maybe David, you can point to uh, some hope. I, I think there's a listener right now, or maybe a few guys who are, are thinking, okay, I've heard all of this. Um, I, my church maybe even fits this description. Um, shoot, mm-hmm. I resonate with a lot of this. So what can I do? What do I do? Like, do I show up to my pastors and be like, hey, change our church? Or like, what's my place in this? Yeah, if you're a layman, it's it's very difficult to change the culture of your church. There'll be a lot of pushback. Um, there's a lot of fear surrounding these things. Don't badger your pastor. You know, yeah. I mean, at at best, buy him a copy of my book and then leave him alone. <laughs> but don't <laughs> but don't don't badger him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rely on the Holy Spirit for that. Good. If you're a man who's feeling alone and adrift, um, the one of the best things to do is uh, find a church in your area that has a men's ministry, just Google search, you know, church men's ministry near me or something like that. And then get with these older guys and they're going to talk about sports. They're going to talk about the weather. They're going to talk about fishing. You talk about real stuff. Okay. Just, just talk to them and they will start to open up and they will start to disciple you, especially these older guys who, because they're hungry to talk about their lives too. And they're hungry to pour into you. Yeah. So, you know, find that group and, um, let them sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron. That's right. And just find that local group or you can find it on Zoom. I mean, I'm sure there's there's online accountability groups and online right. uh, men's discipleship groups all over the place now. Yeah. So yeah. what you've got to do is you've got to search with an open heart. If you don't mesh with the first group, find another one and another one. That's right. Um, read Jordan Peterson. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, if you're not particularly comfortable with a Christian point of view, start with him. He's, yeah. he's shelling for Christianity, even though he doesn't know it. Yep, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there, there are, there are lots of resources out there available. Go to the National Coalition of Ministries to Men. I'm a member of that, ncmm.org, and connect with one of those ministries there. All those guys are doing great online work. Yeah. So just, just, but just keep reaching out. There are men out there who want to help you. You just got to find them, find your tribe. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think just for the guys that don't know, you know, here at the Becoming Men, we have that. We have a men's mastermind. I get to they get together, you know, in intimate groups to be able to do community, to be able to talk dialogue, and and really, like you said, iron sharpens iron. But I think you know, if we did a little science experiment and you took a bunch of iron and you threw it into mm-hmm. a bucket and you let it sit, uh, something's going to happen. It's going to get rusty. It's going to it's mm-hmm. it's going to get weak. Um, and ultimately nothing, nothing's going to look sharp. Nothing is going to look brilliant. It's going to look dull. Right. And, and crappy. And that's what happens when a bunch of guys get together and just sit stagnant in water. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to actually have some friction. And I I like what you said about, you know, they're going to talk about sports. They're going to talk about the weather. You talk about real stuff. And I I think those guys who are, who really want to get better. That is one of the best advice I've heard this week to really take ownership. Go ahead. Well, all you have to do is ask a good question. Mm-hmm. Ask a good question. So ask them, um, how do I pray with my wife? 
Wow. Put them on the spot. Put them on yeah, the spot. Start with that one. That's good. <laughs> how, do I, how do I pray with my wife? Or yeah. um, how do I find a godly woman? Or oh. uh, what is real success? Do I have to make a lot of money? Yeah. You know, just ask the questions that are pinging around in your head. And if the guys can answer them, you've found gold. And if yeah. they can't, find another find another group of guys who can. Yeah. And guys love to give advice. So I'm I'm sure you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't uh, hear the end of it if you were in a circle of of men. Um, but I think, you know, even just going back to that uh that approach of just finding people, um, I don't think I can point to any one mentor in my life, anybody who really has had an impact in my life. And I, I can't really find a moment where I said, excuse me, Mr. Sir. Um, would you like to devote at least an hour a week to be able to mentor and coach me in my life and make me a better man? Like there was no formal, like, please help me mm-hmm. and mentor me. It was just like, Hey, um, are you free for coffee for like a half hour uh, next week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I, I see the way that you carry yourself and I see the way that you act around your wife and your children. And I really want to be able to learn a little bit from you. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee? And there's no guy that's going to be like, yeah, uh, scram kid, you know, like, <laughs> right. Well, especially if they claim to know Jesus, they've, mm, they've got yes. to recognize that's a fastball across the plate. You know, yes. if you don't swing, if you don't swing at that one, you're no batter. You know, you're, <laughs> you're not a, a, a servant of Jesus. If you, if you miss that one. So, yeah, yeah good. you know, it's, it's definitely a, a time where we need to men band together and, uh, you know, learn from each other, how to be good men, godly men and strong men. All right, David. So how can guys get a hold of you? How can they connect with you? How can they buy your book and where can they find you? Uh, DavidMurrow.com uh, is the site I'm building right now. Uh, I also have a site at churchformen.com. Um, I also have a pretty active presence on Facebook at Church for Men, if you want to look for me there. And yeah, just send me, drop me a message and uh, let's let's talk. I answer all my own emails and, and uh, messages. And uh, if I can ever be of service or assistance, please let me know. 